0: Hey everybody, welcome into To The Point. Hope you're doing well on this Thursday afternoon. A little bit earlier today, but we are here live to get into a number of different things around the world of sports, craziness happening all over the place. So we it's just, I don't even know where to start, but today we're going to talk some NBA because there's some drama going on in the NBA and I love it. And there's also some problems, but it's fine. Thursday night football tonight Chadges Raiders. Not exactly the sexiest of games. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about the line. Uh, new starting quarterback for the Vikings. We've got some injury updates for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Sonning in baseball. Not Yamamoto. He's still out there, but there's a bat that's off the market. So uh, stay tuned for that. And, uh, well, I want to start today before we get into the UFC, which is always interesting. Today we got an interesting story because Tuesday night I'm watching hockey. St. Louis Blues are playing the Detroit Red Wings. And I'm watching the end of the game. Detroit is up by a goal and there's three minutes left. And Craig Berube decides not to pull his goaltender. He decides that I'm just going to have my power play, 5-on-4. I'm not going to make it 6-on-4. To me, this is idiotic coaching. You always pull the goalie in that situation. If you lose 4-2, 5-2, who cares? You're trying to score the goal, tie the game to at least get a point. He doesn't pull the goalie. The power play ends with about a minute left. Then he decides to pull the goaltender. Defeats the purpose. Detroit wins in regulation. And St. Louis ultimately loses the game. Well, after the game was over, it's reported via The Athletic. That Craig Bruby had been relieved of his duties, but as we know here on To The Point, that this means you're fired by the Blues. He was the longtime head coach, won the Stanley Cup with the team back in 2019, had lots of success, went through different iterations of that team. I thought he might have been fired last season. I didn't think he'd be brought back this year. Ryan O'Reilly, now in Nashville, was in Toronto, he's gone. Jordan Bennington era giving off of Billy Huso. Pivoting to Robert Thomas, Colton Pareco, Jordan Cairo. St. Louis is in that middle ground where you don't know what they are. Are they a contender? Are they a great team? Should you fear them? They're just kind of in the vortex. But nobody knows exactly what this team is bringing to the table. But Craig Brube is fired. First off, I don't think that Craig Brube is ultimately to blame for this team's deficiencies. Doug Armstrong's been in St. Louis a long time, and oft, sometimes you can look at something and say, well, that guy's been at his position a long time. He's great at his job. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes you just don't let people go. Sometimes I think Doug Armstrong is an okay general manager. I thought what he did for the O'Reilly deal with the Leafs, I thought he got good value on that trade, more than the Leafs should have given up, and I think Kyle Dubas would own that today. He doesn't care. He's in Pittsburgh. But if he was still the general manager, I think he'd like some of those draft picks back. But he's there a long time. You win a Stanley Cup, that buys you a lot of grace, period. Brube was a hard-nosed coach, but I think the players liked him because he was a player was as tough as nails, one of the scariest players in the league when he was playing, and it's hard not to respect him. It's hard not to fear him behind the bench. Ultimately, when a coach is fired, it's because the team on the ice is not performing up to a standard set by management and ownership. And I think what's happening this season with head coaches is you're looking around the league and you're saying, there aren't that many good teams. Everybody's log jammed together. There's nobody rising to the top. Sure, the Boston Bruins are good, but they're not exactly scary. Vegas has had their ups and downs. The Rangers are starting to hit their skate a little bit. The Maple Leafs have been, you look at their numbers, they're probably better than they should be because every game goes to overtime. So while teams have been productive, a lot of teams are still log jammed here on December 14th. And I think St. Louis thought they'd be better. I think they looked around and said, we're a better team than the Calgary Flames. We're a better team than the Desert Dogs, the Arizona Coyotes. We should be able to compete with Los Angeles, with teams in our division. We should be better than the Winnipeg Jets, for instance. Well, St. Louis has 27 points, which is only a point out of the final wild card spot in the Western Conference. So it's not as though this team is completely off the rails, but they've lost seven out of the last 10. They're not playing good hockey. They're not getting great goaltending. And you have a team like Edmonton who has two games in hand on them. And Edmonton has won eight in a row and they look like they're heading towards getting back in the fight for in the Pacific Division. This is it's something you look at the team and go, okay, this is going to be our fix for now, but it's not an overarching fix. I didn't like some of these teams' moves in the off season. Bringing in Kevin Hayes, I talked about it. Kevin Hayes, obviously, a brutal story with his brother with the overdose and everything that happened with Jimmy. But Philly traded him for nothing, and Philly's a better team than St. Louis this year. That kind of tells you what Kevin Hayes is at this point of his career. Picking up Gasparri Kapanen. Kapanen's got nine points in 28 games. Since leaving the Toronto Maple Leafs, he hasn't found a fit. You don't know what his role is. He's not consistent. He doesn't play hard every night. Again, didn't like that pickup. Let's keep going, Brandon Sod. Saad. Brandon Sod's been there a minute, but I, I think Brandon Sod's another. He's a third line player that used to be a top line player when he played with really good players. He's a Michael Bunting of uh, you know, Chicago. When you're playing with Taves, when you're playing with Matthews, Marner, you look a whole lot better. Zach Hyman might be, uh, not, might be the anomaly to this analogy. He can play with anybody and be effective, playing a top line with Drysaddle, with McDavid, and continued to produce. Brandon Saad, he's had a solid career, but he's not a solid player anymore. Oscar Sunquist is a fourth-line player. Braden Shen's nice. I think Jake Neighbors is promising. He's very much one-dimension. He's got 10 goals and one assist, so he likes scoring, doesn't like passing the puck. I think he's got something there. Robert Thomas, I like Robert Thomas. I talked about this. He's been very good 27 points in 28 games and he's been their best play he is their best player he should be the team captain but he's he's quite he's very good Cairo hasn't been as good this year hasn't been as productive as he needed to be has five goals through 17 games this wouldn't be as glaring because say Matthew kachuk in Florida doesn't have many goals this season is only on pace for 60 points on the season. When your teammates around you are helping you, helping you carry the load, play good hockey, it doesn't look as bad. When you have the team that you have in St. Louis, you're 500, and you're not exactly confident you're going to continue to win. So I think Robert Thomas is not a superstar, but I think he's a star player. I think he's very good, but I don't think he can be the best player on a championship team. I think St. Louis has a bunch of contracts you wouldn't like in a perfect world. Justin Falk on the back end, Tory Krug, who they tried to get rid of, Nick Letty, Marco Scandella, for whatever reason, they had to make that deal. They have a lot of guys past their prime. They have the goaltender who might be the biggest loose cannon in the league. And he focuses more on losing his temper than he does on stopping a puck. So throwing all that into the mix, it makes it quite difficult for Craig Brube to have a large amount of success in St. Louis. But that doesn't mean that his firing is unjustified. I just think Doug Armstrong is making a move in December, like the Edmonton Oilers did, in desperation, in hopes that he can turn it around. I don't think it'll be as successful. I don't think St. Louis is going to make the playoffs, even in a very wounded, in a very weak Western Conference. It is top-heavy as bleep, as we talked about on Tuesday. When Edmonton did it, you make a few uh, swaps, but you have a Connor McDavid, who had been injured and not playing well. He's the best damn player in the world. Evan Bouchard, who was the worst defenseman in the league in the first month, has figured out how to put his skates on, has figured out that he's actually bigger than 90% of the league, and has points in 11 straight games, which is the longest current streak in the National Hockey League. And he's playing decent defensively. St. Louis doesn't have those players to overcome it, quite frankly, to bring that to the table. Can... Can uh, can Cairo play better? Yes, but he isn't to the level of these guys. It's not. I don't think they have a, as good a defense. I mean, Evan Bouchard's got thirty points in twenty six games, right up there with Quinn Hughes and uh, Victor Hedman and Kael McCarr. He's he's in that conversation with those guys. And he's playing 22 minutes, and I I still don't love him. To me, he still has his problems. But you like the upside. Matthias Ekholm has settled in with him. Ekholm start, and the biggest reason, Ekholm's starting to play better defensively. Bouchard can settle in, make a few mistakes, and Ekholm can overcome it. So that firing, you can have this... shift. You can have a, let's play a different system here. It's not working with Jay Woodcroft. Let's do a few things differently and make a change. For Craig Grube being gone, you bring in a coach who was a head coach in the OHL, just like the Oilers did. I'm sure they'll win their first couple games with a new head coach, because that's always what happens. St. Louis opens, and they open with a good opponent tonight, the Ottawa Senators. So that new coach Bump Should work. But after that, it gets thin. You go, okay, well, this is just kind of our team. I expect the St. Louis Blues to be a seller at the trade deadline if they can, if they have pieces that teams want. I don't know if they do. Because there's a lot of guys on long, it's as if Doug Armstrong is a new Mark Bergevin. If you notice, Mark Bergevin, Montreal general manager, I actually think he did a better job than most people. But he got fired. He gave out a lot of long-term contracts. Got like Brendan Gallagher and Josh Anderson and guys that I'm sure the Kennedy and Montreal fans wish they didn't have on the roster right now. But you can't get rid of them because there's no money around the league and players can't take on uh, teams can't take on bad contracts. So you're stuck with them. And Bergman doing this, hasn't got another job. I think he's working as a consultant or he's doing something. I'm sure he's doing something wearing a beautiful suit. He's in great shape. But he hasn't got another GM job. Sometimes it's just the way you handle it. You can be a professional, which he was. You can be a good guy, which I think he is. But if teams are saying, wow, he gave up all those contracts to those guys. I'm not going to give him another look. Again, you haven't been hired since. That's a clear-as-day sign. To me, Doug Armstrong has done the same thing here in St. Louis, and he signed guys that, quite frankly, have no stars. Robert Thomas, and that's it. And Robert Thomas makes it work. But again, he's a fringe. He's not a superstar. He's a star player. A point-per-game guy in the NHL. A guy who can be a number... To me, he's like a Taves-esque. He's going to be a number one center, but not put up the numbers that you're used to seeing for a guy that gets 100 points and you know lights up the stat sheet. Do the little things right and see what happens. They don't have the team to compete. So St. Louis makes the change. Craig Brube is gone. Stanley Cup winning head coach. But ultimately, this team needs more work. They're never going to be better than Colorado this year. They're never going to be better than Winnipeg even this year. They're not going to be better than the Dallas Stars this year. They can try But it's not going to happen. They don't have the assets, they don't have the manpower, and they don't have the players to do it. Point blank. And this is going to be a longer term rebuild. This is another Montreal situation where you're looking in the mirror going, what are we? Because Montreal has been the same team for about three years. Let's hope here, and maybe this will stick, and you hope Suzuki's a star player, and he's good, but he's not a superstar. And Cole Caulfield's been underwhelming this year. So you've gotten good pieces, but not that elite crop. It's all about luck. It's all about fun. Getting Conor Bedard first overall, that's what you want. Sometimes it's a draft where you can't get him. It's just not. It's not in the cards. It's not your year. St. Louis is a team that should want to be picking high in the draft. And that's the thing with general managers, and this isn't really their fault. Ownership, if they trust their general managers, should give them the right to tank, give them the right to lose. Because if you're going to give your GM, who you trust, quote-unquote, the ability to sign players, give out long-term deals, build a winner. If they don't feel, if you have a heart-to-heart conversation with them, and they tell you, hey, yeah, good to see you, you know, Mr. Mulrooney. I got to tell you, I don't think this team can win. The pieces I have right now, it's not going to work. And it's honest. It's scary. But to me, It's the most effective way to do it, because if you're signed long-term, worst case, they fire you, and guess what? You get paid, regardless of if you're working. Best case scenario for you, you love the team you're working with, of course, you want to remain in that job because you love the sport, but you can build the team that you want. Not have to sign players to bad contracts, just to try to prove something. Just to try to keep a window open that everybody knows is not going to remain open. Montreal did this. St. Louis is doing this. And it keeps you in that middle ground, in the in the midst of irrelevance for a long time. Because being in the middle, being that ninth, tenth seed in the Eastern or Western Conference is. Horrible. Because you don't get good enough draft picks to play in the NHL right away. And you don't help the team. Doesn't want to make free agents want to go. And then you sign guys on the fringes to contracts that you damn well know they won't live up to. But we're close. We're right there, ownership. And at the end of the day, the owner is going to fire you and bring in somebody else to tear it down. Why go through that painful existence if you don't have to? Of course, in pro sports, we want to see competitive teams every night. We want to see teams play hard and think, okay, that team, that team, they're both really good. That's just not the case. There's going to be great teams. There's going to be bad teams. Tonight, Toronto Maple Leafs are playing the Columbus Blue Jackets. Columbus Blue Jackets stink. Stink. Stink and toronto despite their faults are one of the best teams in the league and it's a mismatch it probably won't be that compelling of a game but people will watch it because it's toronto but also that's how the that's how leagues work there are not enough talented people in the world to make it equal You hope it does in the playoffs and it evens itself out. But when you're playing 82 games and you're playing all these different teams, there are going to be haves and there are going to be have-nots. I'd rather be one or the other. There's haves and have-nots, and then there's the people in the the middle who are basically eating pig feet. They don't get a meal. Okay, you're over here, you get a steak dinner. If you're a have, great. have not you're eating uh, oatmeal. It's not great, but okay, we got to do it. We suck it up. We're going to eat oatmeal for a while. In the middle, it's just junk. Empty calories. That's what you're doing in the middle. Useless. And St. Louis, Doug Armstrong, who's been there a while, I'm not sure he will be the GM come July 1st. No reporting on that. Just the feeling I have because he's been there a long time. And it might be time for fresh eyes to be put on that team. A Stanley Cup buys you a lot of wiggle room. Buys you a lot of respect. But that was 2019. Since 2019, there was a pandemic. Russia invaded Ukraine. Anthony Fauci became the most popular person in the world. Aaron Rodgers is a Jet. I mean, what else? Things have changed since then. It's been a minute. It's almost 2024. Once you win one, they want you to keep winning because they know what it's like. It's like a drug. You can't stop. So Craig Berube had a really good run in St. Louis. Successful stint. He took over for a coach. Halfway through his season. So he knows what this is like. And it worked out for him. For this new coach, I don't think it will. But best of luck. Mentioned tonight, you got Leafs, Blue Jackets. I think Austin Matthews, who has 21 goals in the season... I thought he had a very pedestrian start. He wasn't being physical. Wasn't really owning the puck. Didn't care. Was very passive. Uninterested. Lazy. Not a superstar. Just to simplify it here. He was on the ice and he was playing, but he wasn't playing all that well. Here's what I've deduced since he moved to a new line with... William Nylander. Number one, I think William Nylander has made Matthews better because he's made everybody better this year. Nylander has points in 23 of the Maple Leafs' 26 games, which is pretty damn impressive. He's working harder, and I think what it does is you're seeing a more competitive version of Matthews. And I think he got the Nylander bump, if you will. You're seeing that tenacity, you're seeing that go around, get the puck that Nylander has brought to the table this season. I think Matthews over the last, say, five games has played at his absolute best. And the goals come, but to me it's less about the goal scoring and it's more about the other little things. Being physical and defensemen. Being hard to get off the puck below the hash marks. He should be a warrior. You shouldn't be able to get the puck off him. He's a huge man and he's uber talented. And he's strong. You're seeing that now. He sh- The biggest thing he could do, because he's a pretty good defensive player, really improve that. The next step is be a physical player night in, night out. That consistency. I'm not saying you have to kill everybody. You don't have to go into a corner tonight and lay out J- uh, Zach Wierenski, the best defenseman on the Columbus Blue Jackets. But if you want to, he should be able to. Because you're bigger, you're stronger, and you should be the best damn player on the ice every night other than when you're playing uh, Conor McDavid. That's what I was told, anyway. That's what I expect. He's that dude. Have that physical nature. Intimidate the opposition. Because they're going to go into the game knowing, holy shit, Matthews can run me over. I can't just go through the middle of the ice and not worry about him doing something to me. Which was the case in the past. Now, the guy who has played 26 games, and he's had about six or seven good ones, is Mitch Marner. I'm sure he's got good numbers. I'll look them up. I don't really care about his numbers because it's irrelevant to what I'm going to say, but I'll bring it up just for fun. Let's see. Mitch Marner's got 29 points in 26 games. That's that's good. It's over a point, but it, It's it's quite good. However, I don't think he's been very good this year. When Marner's at his best, he's the best player on the Maple Leafs. He was last year. He was the, be- he was the best player on the Maple Leafs roster last year, and Austin Matthews is still on the team. He was the engine. He was the spark plug, whatever analogy you want to use. He was that guy. He brought it night in, night out, and he created the scoring opportunities for Austin Matthews. Well... I haven't seen that this year. I haven't seen the, the fight in him, the dog in him. Just been passive. He's been an observer. He hasn't been setting the pace. He's just kind of coasting along trying to keep up. He's going to put up points because this team puts up points. But John Tavares only has three less points than Mitch Mar. Now, I also don't, I think those two guys don't have a whole lot of chemistry. I don't think Mitch Marner particularly likes playing with John Tavares. He wants to play with Austin Matthews. But Sheldon Keefe had the cojones to make that swap, which needed to happen. And I think it's worked out for the better. Because Matthews has 21 goals in 26 games. And he's got 32 points, which is second on the team, only behind William Nylander. But this team's playing quite well. They had a big win against the Rangers on a back to back. Martin Jones gets the victory. They can take another step if Mitch Marner starts to play like one of the best players in the world, which he is. Sometimes it's just not about the points. It's about your energy, your vibe, your aura on the ice, and the way you're presenting yourself. To me, he's been presenting himself as a guy that's a little bitchy, a little uninterested, and not giving his full self. Nylander's in a contract here, and he's playing free. He doesn't look frustrated. He doesn't look panicked. He's confident with the puck that he's going to make the right play, shift in, shift out. I think you're seeing more desperation from Arner, trying to find the right play, frustrated that he might be with 91 and not 34. Embrace your linemate because Nylander is not leaving Matthews anytime soon. Because it's working too well and there's nobody else to go to. And Tavares has been pretty good this season. Better than I expected. But to be at a point per game after 26 games, you'll take that every day of the week. In year six of a seven-year contract. Now my analysis has nothing to do, I saw on Twitter that there was some rumor and innuendo that Paul Marner, Mitch's dad, when Tavares scored, got that 1,000 point, he wasn't celebrating. Didn't get excited and people on Twitter were going, oh, it's because he doesn't doesn't like him as his line mate this Saturday the 3rd. I don't know any of that. I'm not going to get into it. I think Paul Meyer is a piece of work. I talked about this before, the way he handled that contract negotiation. I think he's a shrewd operator. I think he likes to do good things by his son, which is what a good father does. I think he's had, he had that is because of his son and knowing that Mitch was going to be an NHL player probably from a young age. So you kind of get that bravado about you, you get that confidence, you're arrogant. I do think he has parts of that in his DNA, but that doesn't make him, that doesn't mean he doesn't care about John or wanted, didn't want him to have that moment. He might just be upset that his son's not playing all that well, which he hasn't. Another guy that I think has been kind of pressing the issue not having a great season to this point is one of my favorites, Tim Stutzla in Ottawa. The Ottawa Senators have been such a disappointment. The only way I can describe it, they've been pretty terrible so far this season. They got the Carolina Hurricanes coming off a Western road trip on Tuesday night at home and Carolina gave them the business. Senators couldn't get a save. And they allowed three goals by the special teams. Two in the power play and one shorthanded. Which you just can't do. But Tim Stutz has got 26 points in 23 games. Which is basically Mitch Marner's stats, but three less games. And you look at it and you go, he's plus eight. He's got 26 points, but he's only got six goals. And the kid's a goal scorer. And you see, well, Brady Kachuk's got 13, and Josh Norris has seven. Sanderson has one less goal than Stutzle. So does Jacob Chikrin. Matthew Joseph Tarasenko has more goals. Claude Giroux has three. She so look up and go, "Okay, I think Stutzle is feeling the pressure because his team isn't very good. They're not meeting expectations. His head coach is taking bullets." Every other day, Jacques Martin is up in the booth watching every game. So they could be making a head coaching change any day of the week. And quite frankly, I'm shocked that DJ Smith has not been fired to this point. Credit to Michael Anlauer. Said he's going to give him time, and he has. But tonight's game against St. Louis, followed by a back-to-back in Dallas, are two very important games. And I think if they don't go well for Ottawa... There could be a new bench boss by Monday. What I tell Tim is just simplify your game. He's so fast. He's so talented. Uber competitive. The best player on on the Ottawa Senators by far. He's a superstar. Just play your game and let it come to you. I'd also put Brady Kachuk back on his line because they play so well together. If I'm the Ottawa Sanders right now, I need to win games. I don't care if you have to load up a line, do it. Because at this point, it's about finding some cohesion, finding some success. Because you have none. You look around going, what are we going to do here? We're last in the Eastern Conference. We're behind the Columbus Blue Jackets who, yes, have played seven more games than the Ottawa Senators, which is staggering, but nevertheless. Look at some of these. Columbus has played 30. Buffalo's played 30. Pittsburgh, 28. Tampa, 30. Carolina, 28. 28 Flyers, Islanders. And 23 games for the Ottawa Senators. That means you're playing a fuck-ton of hockey down the stretch going to be tired. A lot of things are going to have to go right for Ottawa to make the playoffs, and I don't think they're going to be able to. Because Korpisal is a disaster. Looks like he has no confidence in the net, and the rest of the team isn't playing that well in front of him. But Tim Slutza is part of that solution. If you're going to turn it around, it's going to be because of him. Because he's your best player, and just, just play. Don't focus on everybody else. Play the game let it come to you and see what happens but it's it's something else this we got a lot of things happening tonight in the national hockey league Columbus in Toronto, Washington in Philly, which is an important game in the Metropolitan Division. I don't think anybody thought they'd hear this year. Carolina in Detroit. Dylan Larkin was on the ice at morning skate today. I don't think he'll play tonight, but it sounds like he's doing better. So good news for the Detroit Red Wings. Calgary in Minnesota. Calgary trying to get some wins. They lost to... Vegas in the in overtime the other night, also losing to Colorado on Monday. So they've had a tough week. Lightning Oilers and a fun game. Again, Oilers have won eight straight. Bouchard, McDavid on point streaks. They're playing Tampa's coming off a 4-1 loss to the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver hosts Florida tonight, which is probably my favorite game of the evening. Brock Besser is tied with Austin Matthews for most goals in the National Hockey League with 21. Credit to him. He's had his ups and downs. Sound, sounded like he was going to leave Vancouver about four different times. He's still there, thriving. That team's playing well under Rick Tockett. Kuzmenko, who was in the doghouse, scored a goal the other night. So he gets off the schneid a little bit, gets his fifth of the season. Fun matchup. He also got Blackhawks in Seattle. And it was confirmed yesterday. Kyle Connor out six to eight weeks for the Winnipeg Jets. Really tough blow, but they go into LA last night and beat the Kings five to two. Gabriel Villardi returned to Los Angeles. He has a four point night. So the Jets are going to you know keep keep going here without one of their most important players and Kyle Connor. Hellebuck's been great. Rick Bonus back behind the bench. They're a well-oiled machine, playing fast, getting pucks out of their zone quickly, and just managing the errors. And it's kept them to be a very, very competitive team this year. So credit to the Winnipeg Jets. I did not see that coming. But Kyle Connor will miss the next six to eight weeks of action, and Ryan Strom will not be suspended, which I disagree with after – Seeing the other suspensions handed out the last couple days. David Perron is appealing his suspension. Nothing back yet on that front. When I do hear news, you all will be the first to know. We're going to chat about the World Juniors. That will be coming tomorrow. Friday's show should be fun. We're going to do the NFL lines for the weekend. We'll look at those, break them down. And then I'm also going to talk World Juniors Team Canada's roster that was announced last night. 22-man roster. They can add one more player by the start of the tournament next week. But they're holding out hope that an NHL player will be loaned to the team, potentially Matthew Poitra, in Boston. Sounds unlikely that that will happen if somebody is not added For the NHL, they can add another world junior player who was cut here. So it opens up for another. They do have a roster spot open that they can can take advantage of. And according to insiders, they will hand out a roster position to somebody before the tournament starts. But Team Canada is heading over to Sweden in the next couple days. They'll be playing some pre-tournament games over there. And they start on Boxing Day. Are just the the best tournament. You have the that paired with the Spangler Cup, which sounds like Bruce Boudreau might be coaching Canada the Spangler Cup, which is awesome. I love that. But the World Juniors, Canada, Canada opens against the Finns which is a fun opening game. It's a 9.30 a.m. start. World Juniors is here in Gothenburg, Sweden. So some early puck drops. I'm all for that. Love it. They open with Finland 27th against Latvia, 29th against Host Sweden, and New Year's Eve against Germany. So an interesting tournament, but again, they don't get to pick their schedule. It's not as if you're booking Canada for the best team. On New Year's Eve, because Sweden's the host. And they don't care about Canada. <laughs> in particular, when Canada is in your group, Sweden gets to pick their schedule. So, some interesting stuff there. But we'll talk the World Junior roster tomorrow, including the fact that Noah Warren made the roster. Proud of him. Few surprises, we'll get into that tomorrow, so stay tuned. Let's move to the NFL. Some housekeeping before we get to the game tonight. Baltimore made a little surprising move this week. Baltimore signed Malik Cunningham off the New England Patriots practice squad roster. Malik Cunningham was undrafted. He was a quarterback at Louisville. Similar to Lamar Jackson, where he was a great running quarterback, had some athleticism, and... You know, he, I think he had a very good career at Louisville, didn't have great teams around him, but played in the ACC, and he was very notable to me because I watched him play a ton, and he was very interesting. Patriots brought him in. He never got on the field more than two snaps in a game. He was on practice squad for most of the year. And he announced he was leaving the Patriots to join the Ravens because he felt he would have a better opportunity in Baltimore. I believe the Patriots wanted to convert him into a wide receiver. This is often met with you know skepticism. Julian Edelman did it as he was a quarterback at Kent State. But I don't know if Malik Cunningham's willing to do that at this point. Maybe he still sees himself as a quarterback. He can go learn behind Lamar Jackson, behind Tyler Huntley, Josh Johnson in their already deep quarterback room, or. Potentially he's going to be a wide receiver or a tight end or some other interesting way they can use him potentially as a Taysom Hill type in Baltimore. He's not a name you might know right off the top of your head. What I'll tell you is he's dynamic with the ball in his hands, incredibly fast. And he just, he reminds me of the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar, both Louisville quarterbacks. They were with each other for one year. Lamar's senior season at Louisville, he was a a redshirt freshman. So they do have that connection. So Malik Cunningham leaves the Patriots, goes to Baltimore. Minnesota, who plays on Saturday this week, three Saturday games, he was announced as the starting quarterback. uh, Nick Mullins was announced as the starting quarterback for the Vikings. That means the pastronaut, Josh Dobbs, will be the backup quarterback. He will be benched. Vikings. Put up three points on Saturday. However, they won the game, which is staggering. Vikings get the Bengals this week. So Nick Mullins, who's been the backup quarterback for Kirk Cousins the last two years, he knows the system. He knows Kevin O'Connell. He gets the reins. He was a starting quarterback in San Francisco way back when. But it's another opportunity to try to help the Vikings get into the playoffs. Dolphins, Tyreek Hill, injured, does not practice this week. We'll get more updates on that tomorrow when we discuss the lines. But their center, Connor Williams, who's very important. Torn ACL on Monday night against the Titans. So you you choke away a game and you lose your center for the season. So Connor Williams will not be available to the Dolphins on Sunday. When they play the Jets or the remainder of of the season. So a tough blow for the Dolphins. Also Tyree Kill banged up. They got Teron Armstead banged up. A few players on defense. So injuries coming at the wrong time for the Dolphins. And they need wins because they want to stay in the hunt for the number one seed in the AFC. That brings us to the game tonight. Chargers Raiders in Vegas. There are quarterback questions all week. For the Chargers, we learned that Justin Herbert's being shut down. Not playing the rest of the year, having surgery on his right index finger. He'll be back at the start of next season when the Chargers have a new head coach. That means that Easton Stick will be the quarterback for the Chargers tonight. Former TCU quarterback, who Max Duggan, who got them to the national championship game, will be his backup, will be active for the first time in his NFL career. So Easton stick for the Chargers, the Raiders, who put up zero points last week. They were considering a quarterback change. Aiden O'Connell had been the starting quarterback. But again, no points, not a whole lot of success. For a short week, Antonio Pierce is going back to Aiden O'Connell tonight. So it'll be Chargers-Raiders in Vegas with likely not a whole lot of fans in attendance. The Raiders, who did not put up a point last week, are three-point favorites, which to me is surprising. You don't score a point, you're a favorite. I get you're at home. Vegas clearly does not like the Chargers, which they shouldn't. Brandon Staley is moronic. His coaching, his decisions have been a failure since day one, and his days are numbered in Los Angeles. But I still think the Chargers are a better team than the Raiders overall. I love Mad Max, Max Crosby. One of the best defensive players in the entire league. But Aiden O'Connell, those I just don't I look at it and go the Chargers are the better group here even with a backup quarterback. So the the pick tonight is to take Chargers plus 3 and I take the Chargers money line. I believe the Chargers are going to win tonight's game outright. To me, Keenan Allen is going to play. Austin Eckler is going to play. They still have their weapons. They're still going to have some fight. I believe the Chargers are a proud team. So, to me, Chargers are the pick here. Neither team is good. But it's a game. And it's football. It's football. And it'll be better. <laughs> it'll be better than, you know, anything else. Because it's football. Bad football is better than most thing, most other th- great things, honestly. But... That's tonight. Yeah, Chargers-Raiders this evening. We've got three games on Saturday we'll talk about tomorrow, then a full slate before we get into the Christmas games and that next weekend. Other football news, this isn't uh, NFL, but NCAA, we talked about Drake May going to the NFL draft. Riley Leonard from Duke committing to Notre Dame. You had uh, Oregon scooping up Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma. Well, Tyler Van Dyke, who was once a projected first-round pick out of the U, University of Miami, he entered the transfer portal, and he is going to Wisconsin. He's going to Wisconsin to be coached under Luke Fickle, try to help turn around that program a little bit. They had a decent first year. They will be in a bowl game. But... I think this is a good choice. He's going to have a strong running game. You're in the Big Ten. You'll be playing against some good teams, so you'll be able to show yourself off a little bit. University of Miami were going in a different direction with the quarterback position. They clearly didn't trust Tyler Van Dyke anymore. I don't think Tyler Van Dyke wanted to play for the head coach, Mario Cristobal, there anymore. So he goes to Wisconsin, gets a fresh start. I'm sure he scooped up some NIL money. And looking around these quarterbacks that don't have a whole lot of success, you transfer, it normally ends up a better solution. Jaden Daniels went from Arizona State to LSU, won the Heisman Trophy. Bo Nix, Auburn to Oregon, nominated for the Heisman. Caleb Williams, Oklahoma to USC, has won a Heisman, was nominated for a Heisman. Michael Penix, Indiana to Washington, Nominated for the Heisman Trophy, and he's in the college football playoff this year, and he's a projected first-round pick. So these decisions to move off, move to a different situation, get better coaching, better weapons, whatever it might be, it helps you in the immediate, and it also helps you in the future. So quarterbacks are doing it. They're leaving. They're not staying put because they look around and go, hey, I'm not committed to one program. This is this this is about my career. This is about having the most success that I can possibly have. Why would I just stay here because oh I cause I have to? Screw that. So Tyler, that's there's still gonna be more quarterbacks to do this. Still guys that are gonna be looking around looking at different opportunities. The tough part is, and this is a stupid rule, you have to enter the transfer portal before the bowl games, before the college football playoff. So Malik Murphy, who's the backup quarterback for Texas. He learned that Quinn Ewers, the starting quarterback, is coming back. So he's playing again next year. So he won't have an opportunity to start. So he's entering the transfer portal. He won't be on the sideline for the final four or if they win the national championship game. I'm sure he didn't want to do this to his teammates. It looks bad, doesn't look good, but he wants to get NIL money. He wants to be in the best situation for himself going into next year, and it, it just sucks. It should be after the playoff are over. They have nothing but time from January to September to figure out their rosters. The fact that they have to do this now makes him look bad, and it makes the NCAA look bad. Because Malik Murphy said, okay, Quinn Ewers is coming back, and there's also Arch Manning behind me. Yes, Manning, the Manning family, a quarterback. Is he, re- he going to get starts next year? Is he going to get looks over me because he's a Manning? He made the right decision to leave, but he looks like a scumbag doing it, and it really had nothing to do with him. It's the system of college football. Bowl games also start this weekend, and bowl ge- betting on bowl games, ugh. It's, it's like betting on preseason football. You don't know who's playing. Everybody's transferred. Rosters are completely thrown up in the air. But again, it's football. And I'm going to watch him Because I love it. Let's move to the UFC. UFC 296 is this weekend in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headline behind Colby Covington and welterweight champion Leon Edwards. We're gearing up. Media days are going on. But the big news last night was that former welterweight current current welterweight contender Ian Machado Gary, one of the most polarizing people in the sport had to pull out of his fight with Visante Luque. He has pneumonia. Can't fight. But there's more to this because he was getting criticized by everybody prior to this. He has this weird story where he's 26. He has a wife who's 40. Nothing wrong with that. Well. <laughs> no, nothing wrong with it. It's not my cup of tea. But hey, good on you. So he's 26. He's got a wife who's four. I think he's got a kid with her. And he, his last name is Ian Gary, but he took her last name, but her last name is her ex-husband's last name. So his name is Ian Machado Gary, which is her ex-husband's last name. So it's very strange, very weird. He was getting ridiculed for it online. He's also been in the tabloids because He got kicked out of Leon Edwards' gym in England for being, you know, always having cameras around, having being about him, being late for training sessions, not being present, and being just a pain in the ass, quite frankly. And he was a little bit, you know, he was was kicked out of gyms. People were giving him grief, said he was kind of worried to come back into the U.S. And then uh, Sean Strickland, my favorite, Called out his wife saying she was, you know, a predator, trying to scoop him up, trying to take all his money, saying she knows what she's doing. She's just taking from him. So a whole lot of drama going on prior to this fight for Ian Machado, Gary. However, he's one of the most talented people in the entire UFC. His striking game, his leg kicks, he's long. I think he's going to be a champion at 170 by the end of his career. Again, he's young. He's good. He's, uh likes to fight. I believe he has pneumonia. I think he's sick. I don't think he's uh, ducking a fight. He loves to fight. He's talked about this. He's proved it inside the octagon. Shit happens. However, it's tough for Visante Luque because you're two days out from a fight. You're doing your weight cut. You prepared for this. You had a really tough opponent. And Dana White said last night there's no replacement for Visante Luque. But then we get to this morning. Ali Alibdaz. One of the top managers in MMA. Polarizing figure, but he represents some of the best. Justin Gaethje, Kamaru Usman. He also represents Kayla Harrison and Basante Luque. He tweeted out, let me find it because it's Interesting. He tweeted out the big, like the two eyes, like the big eyes, which make people go, um, "Okay, what's going on here?" So you're thinking, "Well, who's he gonna fight?" Well, then. Kevin Holland, one of the BMS, who will fight anybody anytime, tweets out that he wants to fight Vizante Luque at 185 pounds. Do a catchweight, and he'll fight him two days out, because that's who Kevin Holland is. He doesn't care. He'll fight anytime, anywhere. He stays in Vegas, so he's just he's constantly available. Dana said no, but then again, Ali tweets out, God, I hope this works. Then, Vasante Luque is in the steam room. He has released a video saying is open for a 185-pound fight against Kevin Holland at UFC 296, which is this weekend. So, it sounds like these two both want to fight each other. And here's Kevin Holland. Here's the deal. I check with both my wife and my girlfriend. <laughs> And they said I can fight this weekend. So Kevin Holland wants to step in, 180 pounds, meet in the middle between welterweight and middleweight, and fight Saturday so Vicente Luque we can get a purse, remain on the card, not have to go with that weight cut, all that training for nothing. And Kevin Holland gets a fight, and honestly. It's an easier fight for, for Vasante Luque, but Kevin Holland is a tough opponent. Ian Machado Gary's is a striker, so is Kevin Holland. He's not going to take you to the ground. He's not doing any jiu-jitsu. He is going to strike with you. So you're basically gearing up for a very similar opponent. Visante could get a win. He'd have two wins on the year against former champion Rafael Dos Anchos against Kevin Holland. That's a pretty damn good 2023 after he missed almost a year with a brain injury. So impressive! It'd be an impressive year for him. Great stuff. I hope this fight happens. Kevin Holland is an absolute beast. He's crazy. He's not afraid to do anything. But this is, Volkanovski took a fight on short notice against Islam. He lost the fight, but you take the chance. Sean Strickland got a title shot because Tricky Stuplasi had a foot injury. Sometimes this just happens an opportunity comes in your ending for the UFC, they might look at this card and go, we got a damn good card even without Ian Gary, which they do. They could easily throw Josh Emmett and Bryce Mitchell, Thug Nasty, into the main card. And nobody would bat an eye because that's a really good fight at featherweight. But to keep Luke and to put Kevin Hall in the first fight of the pay-per-view at welterweight, you're going to have three Walterweight fights on the main card it looks awesome. You go Leon Edwards, Pantoja, Royval, Wonder Wonderboy, Thompson, Tony Ferguson, Patty Pimblett, and then you get Basante Luque and Kevin Holland. That's a damn good card. Then you go into Emmett and Bryce Mitchell, Irene Aldana, who fought for the title back in June. Cody Garbrandt, former champion at 135 against Brian Kelleher. Casey O'Neill returning against Ariane Lipsky. You, they got a great card. Their early prelim fights are awesome. What, to me, it's the best card of the year. But can you get this fight? It's To me, it's not that hard of a fight to make because I think Kevin Holland will do it. He said he will. 180 pounds. He'll weigh in tomorrow morning. If something happens before we wrap today, I'll tell you guys about it. But we'll learn for sure by tomorrow. But beautiful stuff. I hope this fight comes together. Other UFC news. They're starting to announce fights for 2024. We know most of the Canadian pay-per-view card, one fight that's off is Rakic and Jan Blachowicz at 205 pounds because Blahovic has an injury. Maybe they'll find him a new opponent. Maybe he'll wait and find fight Yuri Prohaska. Wait and see there. But Strickland, Duplessis, you have another two title fights in that card. Canadian Mike Malott is the third fight on, which is awesome for him. His biggest platform His first fight against a ranked opponent. Which obviously is a big step up for him against, I believe he's fighting Neil Magny. So that's UFC 296 in Toronto, Canada. Just going to check. Anything else on that card that I missed? Uh, You got Arnold Allen and, and Eveloff is an awesome fight at featherweight. Dominic Reyes, former champion against Carlos, should have been, against Carlos Olberg. I'm worried about that one for Reyes. Brad Catona, winner of the Ultimate Fighter, Canadian against Garrett Arnfield. Chris Curtis against Marc-Andre Barrio. A lot of Canadians on this card. Julian Robertson. You have Jasmine Yazodevichis. So, fun uh, fun card. About a month later, Anaheim, California, UFC 298, headlined by Alexander Volkanovski. And Ilya Taporia. Co-main event announced for that fight. A bantamweight tilt between former champion, former double champion, former Olympic gold medalist, Henry Cejudo. And Marab Davishvili. These two have been going at one each other on Twitter for a long time. Henry fought Marab's best buddy, Aljamain Sterling, and lost a very close fight in May, for the belt, looked like Cejudo was going to retire. He said, screw it, no, I'm going to stick around. I can beat Marab. give me a chance at Marab. then I get Sean O'Malley and fight him for the title, which is what I think will happen. Whoever wins this fight will be the number one contender for the Bantamweight title. I don't see how it doesn't happen that way. Two guys that are Marab's just full gas tank coming at you the whole fight. Cejudo wants you to get you to the ground. He does have good strikes. He's one of the probably the most educated, smart people in MMA. Just about fighting and being in good situations. Rounds Marab said yesterday on Ariel Hawani show the MMA hour he wants it to be five five rounds. He wants it to be a five round fight. Cejudo likely won't, but I wouldn't. I don't hate that they make some of these bigger fights five rounds. Like I know later in the year that Brandon Moreno, former flyweight champion, and Amir Albezi are going to fight in Mexico City. That's going to be a five-round co-main event fight. To me, if it's a number one contender, you know it. If you see the guy who wins, they're going to get a shot at the title. I have no problem with it being five rounds. I'd actually prefer it because it helps that fighter get a better get better pay. And it also helps them prepare for the next fight when they go for the title. And any title fight is five rounds. But these two guys being going toe-to-toe with one another, fighting, it had to happen. They finally get a date booked. Great fight to put under Volkanovsky and Taporia at 135 pounds. Also announced in this card. Ty Tuivasa, who's been on a bit of a losing streak, had some tough fights, recently lost a fight in September to Alexander Volkov, the Russian dragon. He's back in the cage with his buddy from Australia, Volkanovsky. He's fighting Machin Tabura, so number 9 and number ten, 10 ranked heavyweights, both coming off losses. Tabura losing to now champion Tom Aspinall, Tuivasa to losing to Volkov, Two guys who like to throw big punches, big combinations. Two guys that can knock each other out. I like this fight. I think it's fun. And I think there's a good chance we see a shoey return for Tai Tuivasa. Another fight for this card. straw strawweight, number one contender fight, you could very well argue. Tatiana Suarez, who's undefeated against Amanda Lamosh. Who fought for the title against Zhang Wei Lee back in August? Lemos got dominated, lost five rounds to number. She she hung around. She almost had, she had a few submission attempts. It was domination, but it was a more interesting fight than what the scorecard said. Tatiana is a just a complete monster inside the cage. She's won every one of her fights via uh, via finish. She's a submission specialist, she's completely crafty, strong, gets women to the ground, and she finishes fights. She recently beat Jessica Andrade, who's another former champion. So, I thought you could make the argument that Tatiana should be the number one contender. But what this tells me is they want to do Zhang Wei Li and Yang Shanan for the Strawweight title. Two women who are both Chinese- Two women that if they want to go to China next year could headline that event. Be huge. It would do great numbers. They sh- they need to find an event to put in China. Because I know they want to go to Manchester and they would like to do a Dublin event next year. But having those two women headline an event in China would be absolute magic. But to me, if Tatiana Suarez, who's undefeated, wins this fight in Anaheim, California... She will be getting the opportunity at the winner at that fight. But a good matchup. 298, you get Anthony Hernandez, a.k.a. Fluffy, against Ikram Alaskarov. Alaskarov is a rising contender. First round finish back in Abu Dhabi. He he can do it all. This is his toughest opponent to date. But he's a, another Russian fighter that can absolutely bring it. Was supposed to fight Paolo Costa. That got throwing off the books. He's good. Another heavyweight bout, Justin Taffa, another Aussie, fighting Marcos Rogero de Lima. The Lima's last fight was against Derek Lewis, where he lost pretty near all of his teeth. Had to have his mouth redone. So this is kind of an Australian card in and on, which, which is interesting. But, solid fight there. They've announced Andrea Lee Miranda Maverick is a fun fight. So that's That's UFC 298, which is at the Honda Center in Anaheim, California on February 17th. UFC 299. Another card. This one's in Miami. They had an event in Miami last year. It was awesome. Sean O'Malley in Miami. That should just be phenomenal. Cheeto Vera as well. That's just an awesome fight in Miami. Well, we learned last week women's flyweight Caitlin Chu again against Macy Barber. Huge fight for Macy. Huge opportunity for Macy Barber to get into the top five, continue her winning ways. She's coming off a of surgery, but she's training again, looking good. This fight should happen in March, so she still has some time to get ready and prepare. But a big opportunity for her. Two huge fights announced for this card. Number one, heavyweight. This was a fight that was supposed to happen. That got off the books because of a Curtis Blades injury. We got Curtis Blades number five ranked heavyweight against number seven Jelton Almeida. Almeida fought in Sao Paulo, Brazil, his home country. He beat Derek Lewis five rounds, dominated one every round. You could say he had multiple 10, 8 rounds. But he never finished, he never tried to finish the fight. He wasn't aggressive enough. It was not an impressive performance, if you ask me. He won, yes. He laid on top of him. He had control. He was never in danger of losing the fight. But Jelton Almeida has more that he can bring to the table. He can use his elbows. He can finish guys, ground and pound when he gets them in bad situations. He needs to learn from this fight, and I'm curious to see if he does. Curtis Blades is coming off a loss to Pavlovich. Pavlovich was obviously on that roll until he ran into Tom Aspinall. But Curtis Blades has been close to getting title opportunities. He's been close to being world champion. Jalton Almeida is the rising contender. He's beating everybody. He's dominating. He looks great. And Blades, who can wrestle with the best. And if he can go in there and out-wrestle Jalton Almeida. Get that big of a victory. Get back into the mode. Get people thinking about him competing for a title again. Then we may have something here. We might have... Curtis Blades looking at the top guys, going, "Hey, fight me." Perhaps not, but to me, this is a huge opportunity for Curtis Blades. He's been in, been in the cage with Daniel Cormier. He's been in the cage with the, uh, almost had a fight with John Jones. He's been in there with Volkov, with Aspinall. So he needs to find a way here to get back into that mix with a win. He'll be back in the conversation, but a huge opportunity for both men in the heavyweight division, and this is a fun fight. 155 pounds, lightweight, where that division's completely wide open. I think the division's getting better and better, and it got better overnight because Rafael Dos Anchos, former lightweight champion of the world. His last fight was at 170 against Vicente Luque, and he lost that fight, and he was really dominated in that fight. Well, he's coming back to his regular division, and he is fighting Mateus Gamrot, who was the backup fighter for the Islam Makachev-Alexander Volkanovski fight in Abu Dhabi. It's Gamrot against Dos Anchos. I think for Gamrot going to, fighting a number 11th ranked fighter, I think he looks at this and goes, I'm going to be fighting a champion. A former champion, I get to fight him. If I beat him in the weight division, I get some cred. I think he knows himself well enough to go. Okay, there's some really good fighters above me. You know, I beat Faziev in my last fight, but Faziev blown out his ACL. So I can't really jump up and down about my about my performance. Gaethje's up there, and you have Charles Oliveira, and you have the uh, guy who won, great fighter, just won in Texas, knocked the hell out of, knocked a big knockout a couple weeks ago in Armand Tuscarian. I don't think he's going to get the next title show. I think this is a smart fight for him because it's a guy that you can beat, you keep your momentum, there's no loss. RDA is a tough fight. His RDA at 155 is, is different than him at 170. He's used to fighting 155. That's his size. I understand he doesn't want to make that weight cut anymore, in particular at his age. understand that completely. But Luke proved in that fight he's just too big for him. He's not big enough to be at 170. He can't hang with like the Ian Garys and those guys. This is not going to happen. This is his weight class. He'll be bigger than Game Rot when they get in that cage. He is, to me, just a bigger dude. But this is a fun, stylistic fight. Two guys that like to get each other, to, that like to wrestle, be in different uh, combinations, keep their length, crafty guys. GameRot wants to be a champion. RDA has been a champion. RDA can win this fight. You jump to six in the rankings. All of a sudden, you're back in the mix, and you have that aura of being a former champion. So I love this booking as well by the UFC. Interesting stuff. Great fight for UFC 299 in Miami. Also not on that card, number 11, Pedro Munoz, Bantamweight fighter against Kyler Phillips, who's unranked, but Kyler Phillips has been on a roll as of late. Some good performances. He gets his biggest opportunity. He beat uh, Barcelos in his last fight. 11-2 11-2 and two overall, so big opportunity for him. Lauren Murphy returns to the cage. She hasn't fought in over a year. She'll fight Karen Silva, so the number f- six-ranked flyweight for Lauren Murphy. She'll fight Karen Silva, who's number 13. Lauren Murphy in her last fight against Jessica Andrush was really beaten badly. She's pushing 40, so I'm, I, don't, I don't know how much longer she's going to fight. I could see her if this comes out as a loss. It could be her last fight in the octagon. No fights announced for US300 3 yet, but Dana White said he's gonna. it's going to be a huge card. He wants the first prelim to be a stunner. He goes, I don't want anybody to even for people to look up and go, how the hell is this fight a prelim fight? He wants it to be that loaded. I don't know how he's going to pull that off because there's a lot of fights booked and there's only so many guys you can throw in the card. Colby Covington said yesterday he'd love to headline UFC 300. Of course he would. But are they going to put McGregor on that card with Michael Chandler? It's been rumored forever, but then John Kavanaugh said they want to do it in the summer. Can Islam Makachev fight on that card even though it's Ramadan? Him and Justin Gaethje headlining UFC 300. That would be awesome. That can certainly headline that card. If you have Gaethje and. You have Gaichi and Islam. Dustin Poirier said he wants to be in that card, which I think he should. He's number three in the rankings. The thing for him is tough to find interesting fights. I would love to see him fight Armin. Three and four in the rankings. I know it's he said he wants to fight You know, ch- title contenders. He's fought Oliveira. They could rematch. I don't think Charles wants to do it. But to me, I don't want to see Charles and Islam again. I really don't want to see that fight. I haven't seen Gaethje and Islam. I'd like to see that more. I think Islam's right in saying he doesn't want rematches. To me, it, it was such a dominating effort by Islam. It doesn't make it that compelling. Islam Volkanovski, too, was compelling because Volkanovski nearly beat him in the first fight. It was nip and tuck. Gaethje's on a roll. He's knocked out Poirier. He beat Rafael Faziev. He's earned the right to fight for a title. If you, if you book that headliner, UFC 300, Dustin Poirier against either Charles or Arman Tuskarian on the same card to have multiple lightweight fights. That would be fine because Faziev is is injured. He's not available. Dan Hooker is injured. He's not available with his arm. Jalen Turner will be coming off a big win. I'm sure he'll be looking to move up, but will there be opportunities? I don't know. Benoit Saint-Denis is scary as hell. At number 12, he should be free for UFC 300 if they want to book him. Maybe Benil Dariush. I don't. If I'm Dariush, I, I worry about Dariush in that fight because I think his chin's kind of gone at this point. Bobby Green will be a, Drew Dobers fighting Renato Micano in February. So just trying to put the card together is tough. They might put Yang Shannon and a Jean Wei Lee on that card. Because you have the flyweight champion fighting this weekend. The welterweight champion fighting this weekend. You might say, well, that's April. But again, it's the end of December. And that's only a three-month turnaround to come back and fight in early April for USC 300. Which isn't a whole lot of time. You have John Jones, who's currently the heavyweight champion. He's out until summer. So he's not going to be available. Alex Pereira should be available. But who are you gonna, who's he going to fight? Jamal Hill, I don't think he's going to be back from his torn Achilles. He just beat Yuri Pohoska. Ankalaev is fighting Johnny Walker in January. Blachowicz is injured. Brockich has a fight booked. Khalil Roundtree has called him out. And Roundtree is awesome. But is it, at number eight, is he going to get a title shot? Unlikely. So that's probably not going to happen. The only thing is if the UFC says to Tom Aspinall, do you want to defend your interim strap? I don't think they want him to do it because they don't want to draw attention to the fact that Tom Aspinall is the interim champion, not the heavyweight champion of the world because John Jones is out with his injury. But seeing Tom Aspinall fight Surreal Gahn UFC 300 would be awesome as well. Do I think Cyril Gon really has earned that title shot? No, but it's not really about that. It's about the style matchup. And those two have history. Because again, Blades booked. Volkov doesn't have a fight booked, but Aspinall's already beaten him. And everybody else is kind of taken. So that's going to... It's really only those weight divisions. Because Strickland's fighting in January. He's not turning around that quickly. Leon Edwards, three-month three turnaround for him. He normally takes nine months off. Better chances of turnaround if Colby Covington wins this weekend... Will he? We'll talk about that tomorrow. He could turn around and do it. I think he would. But again, who's he going to fight? Is it going to be Bala Muhammad? He said he wants to fight Usman, make that a trilogy. If Shabkat wins this weekend, would he get an opportunity at the Bell? There's a lot of different ways it can go. But I think there's a limited amount of champions who are going to be available. Volkanovski won't. O'Malley won't. Bantoja won't. It's really Islam, UFC 300, Alex, Aspinall, or they just go with Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler and they don't have a championship fight on UFC 300, which isn't great. And they could have a female fight. Grasso Shevchenko, UFC 300 would be awesome. Third fight, trilogy. But I don't know. That's not going to be the main event. It could be a co-main event. And I'd love to see that fight. That, that would be great. Or Blanchfield, Gross, whatever they want to do. But those two women have put on two really good fights, and I'm sure they want to do a third one because it's good business. And there's not really anybody for Aaron Blanchfield to fight because they're all below her in the rankings and they all kind of have their fights booked. But that's not really her problem. But who knows? Lots happening UFC. We'll talk about we'll talk if that fight happens tomorrow here on the show. NBA news: a couple things. Draymond Green got into a kerfuffle Tuesday night. Throws a player to the ground, doing his normal Draymond Green things. He got suspended indefinitely by the nba he also slapped somebody so he's suspended indefinitely by sorry by the golden state warriors the team suspends him indefinitely he's going to go get some counseling go get some help and the league was going to give him a big suspension but golden state decided to do this and he will be allowed to be back on the court when the doctors and the team deems him okay He's been a a flat-out disaster on the court this year. Big contract, not available, suspended five games, bad defense, can't shoot, just been a complete liability. I don't think he has a rage issue, personally. I think this whole counseling thing's a bit much. I think this is covering up the fact that he's made stupid decisions, but do I think he has a rage issue? Do I think he's unhinged? I don't, personally. There are just players like this. Do I think Bob Probert was unhinged? No, I just think that's the way he played the game. Jeremy Roenick, same thing. Just It's a new era of the league, and Jamon Green is colors outside the lines, and it can get on people's nerves, and it can cause commotion. He's not helping his team. So getting him off the floor can be a addition by subtraction. But is he a guy that has rage issues? Do I think he needs to go to Rageaholics Anonymous or go to whatever the hell you do therapy? No, quite. I find that idea ridiculous. Quite far, I find it. It's almost insulting to to say that about him because it's he doesn't have a rage issue. So. I think he's got a stupid problem, not a rage issue. He makes dumb decisions and it hurts his team. He's selfish, he's stupid, one of the best defenders in league history, multiple time champion. But he's all of those things. Kevin Durant says, I hope he gets the help he needs. I don't to me that's 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 something you say to somebody who has made so many just poor, poor mistakes like really bad decisions that's somebody who's an alcoholic and they relapse and you go i really hope they can get the help they need please beat this or you're cheating on your wife you got to figure he needs some help something's wrong with him you have a friend that just keeps doing bad things and you're like he just needs to go away for a while Draymond Green is not leaving the building, going and assaulting people, then coming in to play basketball. And he's got, you know, his knuckles are beat to hell. Okay, he put Gobert in a chokehold. Was a stupid decision. He put, he did what he did the other night. Stupid. But it, does he have a rage issue? No. Give me a fucking break. Therapy. Get, I have nothing. I have nothing against therapy. I've gone to therapy. I've gone to therapy. I've talked to them. It's. It's. A, I have more respect for the profession than I did when I start before I went. It's a tough job. They go through a lot. They listen to your bullshit all the time. They it's a it's a tough job. And they don't get paid enough for what they do. Do I think Draymond Green needs to figure out why he's making stupid decisions? No, but I also think that's a decision. Don't do this. Rage issues? No, I don't. I don't think he has rage issues. Because somebody who has a rage issue takes it out more than just at their place of work, and we don't hear about anything other from Draymond Green than when he's at work. You can make an argument. Von Miller has rage issues because it happens at work and it also happens at home. Just for for example, with the Buffalo Bills. Also, last this was funny. Giannis Antetokounmpo dropped sixty four last night for Milwaukee in their victory against my Indiana Pacers, which was a team record, career high for Giannis. He wanted the game ball. But during that game, somebody for the Pacers scored their first points ever in the NBA for Indiana. And I'm going to find his name, and I know who it is, a college player. I remember watching him play. Oscar Schwebway played at Kentucky. All-American at Kentucky, big center. He played five minutes last night. He had 1.1 rebound, 0 for 1, 1 for 2 from the three-throw line. He had his first career NBA points, and they wanted to get the ball for him because it's a special night. But Giannis goes after the ball because he dropped 64-14, 20 for 28, 24 for 32. He's just a phenomenal game. But they wouldn't give him the ball. They won. it, said it's Shibwe's. No, we're taking it. Giannis pissed off, going at people, freaking out. Goes to the press conference says, I don't think I got the game ball. It doesn't feel right. Here's the funny thing. Oscar Sheebway actually got his first career points Saturday night in the in-season tournament finale. But here's the thing. The in-season tournament, the points don't count for whatever reason. They don't count towards the history of your stats in the league. So technically, Oscar Shibwe... Didn't have a basket. So the Pacers weren't wrong. but Were they also childish in what they were doing? Of course. Giannis looked a little unhinged. He looked a little uh, prissy and looked a little soft in this moment. I'm going to be honest. I'm on team Pacers because we are Indiana. But it was funny. For a Wednesday night, didn't have a whole lot. A gimmick that went fucking 13 rounds, I heard. They watched that this morning, this morning at SportsCenter. Devils winning in overtime. Detroit Pistons losing again to the Sixers for their 21st straight loss. Spurs losing again for their 18th straight loss. Wizards losing again by 20 to the Pelicans. They only have three wins. It's fun to track those three teams because they're all terrible. And the Memphis Grizzlies love those three teams because the Grizzlies are 6-17. and 17. Just dreadful. A team who was you know a playoff team for many years, lots of promise. But you lose a lot of pieces. You change your group. John Morant's not playing because he's got more guns than Sean Strickland. And your team looks like shit. But apparently he's going to speak with Adam Silver here soon. And he'll be back sooner rather than later for Memphis. Will it be good enough? Because he's almost back. 25 game suspension. For John Morant, the, the Memphis Grizzlies at this point are second to last in the Western Conference. They've played 23 games, so two more games for the Grizzlies, and then John Morant will be eligible to return. His return, just checking their schedule here, play Friday night against the Rockets again. Memphis, they play Monday against the Thunder. And he will be eligible to play Tuesday night in New Orleans. That's when he will be eligible to make his return. So that's likely when it will be for John Morant serving his 25-game suspension. So something to keep your eye on moving forward here. But that's what's coming up. Tomorrow on the program. We're going to talk Team Canada, the players they picked, and how they look going into this tournament. Also get into uh, Team USA and Team Sweden. NFL picks for the weekend. Injury news and notes, things of that nature. We'll talk about the college football bowl games. So a loaded Friday coming your way here on To The Point. Thank you for hanging out this afternoon. Thank you for the support. Take care. This To The Point.